This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Welcome to the final ATP Tennis Radio podcast from Wimbledon. I'm Peter Mercado and looking forward to going through what has been an amazing 13 days of competition capped off with one extraordinary final. Novak Djokovic is the champion over Roger Federer, winning in the final set tiebreak. We're going to try and make some sense of all of this, try and make sense of the last 13 days and to obviously help us along that way. We've got strawberries and cream set up. We've also got some PIM set up as well, which we'll get into after we finish bringing you this podcast, bringing you this review of what has been a sensational tournament. Joining me, as he did last week, back by popular demand, well, his, not anyone else's, is Chris Bowers. Uh, Hello. Do we want to try and make sense of this final, what we've just seen? We are here on the broadcast roof at the championships at the All England Club and people are packing up around us. It seems to be a tradition on the ATP Tennis Radio podcast that we do this and we've got people packing up all over the place and well. That's the, that's the thing about Sunday night at tennis tournaments <laughs> yes. is that you do get people packing up around you and uh, you know it's the nature of the of the business because we we sometimes joke that it's a tennis circus and the circus goes from town to town to town and in a way that's what the tennis circuit does and uh, so yes people are packing up and then they'll go back partly to the clay on mainland Europe and partly to the hard courts there's one more week of the grass in Newport and the circus continues. Let's talk about the final. Djokovic winning 7-6-1-6-7-6-4-6-13-12-7-3 in the final set tiebreak. We had uh, history all over the place. The longest gentleman singles final at the championships in history. What did you make of all of it? It was at times a bizarre match. It had its high points. It had its flat moments. It had a little bit of everything as you would expect and it was just extraordinary from start to finish. It was. It was what sporting theatre is all about. It wasn't necessarily the highest quality of tennis. It had moments when it was fantastic. It was fascinating to see Federer's slice, which he barely used at all against Nadal on Friday, but he used it so much against Djokovic. Djokovic having to dig the ball out, and yet, in a way, he brought the best out of Djokovic in doing that. Djokovic made very few mistakes off the lower balls. He made quite a few off the higher balls, interestingly. A lot of backhands that you never normally expect Djokovic to miss, um, which he actually did miss in the course of the final. But in a way, I don't think we should get too picky about the quality of the match. What we should be concentrating on is just the sporting theatre of it all, because it was an absorbing contest, it was an absorbing spectacle, and it was, in a way, what sport's supposed to be about. And after Federer um, played that 13-11 final set against Anderson last year, and after Anderson played that 26-24 final set, we had the tiebreak introduced. And what's ironic is that this match, four hours, 57 minutes, incidentally exactly the same time as the men's doubles final, yes. <laughs> um, is actually nine minutes longer than the Roddick-Federer final from 2009, where Federer beat Roddick 16-14 in the final set. Let me run you through some of these numbers because I've been trying to make sense of the stats. And we talk about the stats don't lie. I think they do on this occasion. Total winners, 94 for Federer, 54 for Djokovic. 62 unforced errors for Federer, 52 for Novak Djokovic, 88 forced errors to 72 
The serving statistics were fantastic again. 63% first serves into play for Federer, winning 79% of those points. When he got to the net, he won more often than not when he got there. He had two match points in the final set. He was serving at 40-15. I'm looking through all of this. I'm lo- even looking at the rallies of nine-plus shots, which he won that, 37-25. to 25. How is it that Roger Federer didn't win based on these numbers? Because we get too hung up on statistics because the statistics don't tell us which points are important. You know, we can say if someone served 25 aces in a match, but if all those aces were at 15 love and 30 love, it doesn't make anything like as much difference as if someone serves five aces, but they're all with facing break point. And that's why Djokovic played a fantastic match mentally. He said uh, immediately after the match that it was the toughest match he's ever played mentally not the toughest physically he said that was the Australian Open final in 2012 when he and Nadal were seven minutes short of uh, six hours but mentally it was the toughest and in a way I can understand that because he was on the receiving end for much of that match and yet somehow managed to eke it out that's what great champions do although both these guys are great champions they were and as the match wore along you just had this feeling yeah we're probably gonna have to finish it off with a tie break in the final set the, the other interesting thing for me about Djokovic was the lack of emotion. He did talk in his press afterwards, talking about, no, I just wanted to keep myself calm. It was a goal. I was going to keep calm out there and make sure that I you know, didn't show too much emotion. At the end, when he won that epic match, there was still no emotion. And normally for Djokovic, when you do see him, when he's, on, he's flat on his back or he's yelling at this team, the big roar that comes out, there was nothing here, and I think that probably goes to the battle that both of these players faced because he also talked about the mental battle being better or, or more increased than what he had when he played Nadal over six hours at the Australian Open. But I think he had nothing left mentally. You know, he used it all there. And, you know, there was even that final moment of drama when he challenged on match point, won the challenge, but quite rightly, the umpire, Damien Steiner, who I think handled the match very well, um, said, no, no, you have to replay the point. He didn't do that because, oh, it would be terrible to finish on a challenge. It was because the call had clearly come before Federer hit the backhand that he missed. So that was right, but it just added that extra drama. And I think at the end of that, it was interesting. Djokovic, he shook hands with Federer, shook hands with the umpire, walked out into the middle of the court and just looked at the crowd. It was almost as if to say, I just don't know what to make of this. And it's, had it been his first major, of course it would have been different. Had it been his first Wimbledon, of course he would have been far more outgoing. But I just think that that was a sign of just how much this battle took out of him and meant to him. He goes back to back. He equals Bjorn Borg in terms of Wimbledon championships now. Uh, the, always that chatter about, can you chase the pack that's in front of you? You're, you're there, you're thereabouts, you've just won the championships here. We're going to talk a little bit about what we can take out of this grass court season for the hard courts in the States a little bit later in the podcast. But certainly now after a bit of a break, he'd have to be sort of, his confidence would still be there. Yes, this was a tough battle, but he did get through and he was on top again. He was, and, you know, I think... This was the one that Federer really had a chance. I think Federer had a better chance here than he will have at the US Open. I hope to be wrong on that one because uh, Federer looks in great shape still. And uh, although it's quite good that he doesn't have to play a match in the next two or three days, he did last nearly five hours. And for somebody who will be 38 on the 8th of the 8th, that is an immense achievement. But 
You know, I just think that this Wimbledon emphasised how much Federer, Nadal, Djokovic are just the most sensational generation. And they have once again shown that while we can get excited about the next generation, someone's got to step up because they haven't done so yet. The other thing too is the clay to grass transition because Federer goes back and plays on clay comes in, plays on grass, reaches the final here. Nadal reaches the semi-final here as well. That adds to, I think, sort of the greatness of these players, that they can just move from surface to surface and it's not really a problem. I think you're right, but I think with Federer, he was a better player at Wimbledon this year than last year because he played on the clay, in particular the match against Nadal, which for me set the pulses racing more than today. Today the pulses were racing because of the, the drama of the contest. Um, on Friday, the semi-final Nadal against Federer set the pulses racing because of the just wonderful rallies that they had. Yes. And I think Federer would not have won that match had he not played on the clay because he does hog the baseline and the amount of backhands, crucial backhands, that he hit while camped on his baseline, that can only work if your ground strokes really are grooved. And I think they were better grooved because of the three tournaments he played on clay this year than they were last year, having gone from Miami to Stuttgart without having played on clay. Reflecting a bit more on the semi-finalists, we had... Uh, Rafa, who now has actually qualified for the Nito ATP final, so a little bit of a bonus. I don't think he's reflecting too much on that. Djokovic has as well. And now Djokovic there, so we've got the first two in. Going to be interesting to see, just as a little side note to all of this, because we are hitting the hard courts, that we're going to have the situation of who's going to fill those remaining spots. I think there's a few that are kind of locks. I mean, you have to say Federer is Federer a lock is at this stage. Federer is certain. Tsitsipas had a very good early part of the year. Team, uh, having won Indian Wells and runner-up at uh, Roland Garros. You know, those five will have, you know, the three that aren't definite yet will clearly have to play very badly in the second half of the year not to qualify but it means basically three spots are open and in a way that was shaping up after the French. Yeah absolutely well we'll keep a close eye on that because it's going to be interesting the first part the American hardcourt swing but one player I do want to talk about that we've forgotten about I guess in the mix is Roberto Bautista Good and his sensational run here he was actually planning to go out on his uh, bachelor party stag do whatever the terminology is around the world and he had his mate set up and they were all ready to go because the thought process was he wasn't going to be here in the second week of the championships but indeed he was and he played a, a good match a pretty good match against Novak Djokovic who was running a little bit hot and cold they did have a 45 shot rally at one stage there but for RBA, he's not going to be the most heralded of players, but we must pay tribute to his effort to get all the way to the semi-finals. He's not going to be the most heralded of players simply because he doesn't play with massive amounts of charisma, but he's somebody I really warm to. I warmed to the way he reacted with such dignity when he played Andy Murray in the first round of the Australian Open in January. He has played extremely well. He bounced back from a really difficult personal year last year where, you know, he had a, a family bereavements to deal with. And he's also an example of somebody who just needs to get their head around grass. When players come on grass for the first time, they think, oh my goodness, what do I do on my, the ground's going to give under my feet? Certainly in the early stages, it's slippery. I can, uh, I can slide, but not when I want to slide. And how do I deal with this? And actually he's worked out, do you know, I play well on hard courts because my balls are flat. So if I can actually hit flat shots, 
and use the angles on grass, I can go a long way. And in a way, that was the triumph. It's taken him to the age of 31. But that semi-final was no fluke. That was actually very sensible use of his uh, flat strokes game adapted to grass. Let's talk about some of the other players who featured in the second week that we really didn't get the chance to talk about in our last podcast. And whether we have thumbs up or, or thought of some thumbs down or, or thereabouts in terms of their performance, those that made it through, top of that list I think is David Goffin and I think now we've we sort of been following him, we, we followed him in Hulla on ATP Tennis Radio and he started to string the wins together there he was able to do it here, he got through to the quarterfinals, he did lose to Djokovic in straight sets but is that a tick for Goffin? Yeah definitely, he's done well, he's actually got his year back on track, you know he hadn't won three successive matches uh, until Hala, and now he's done it two tournaments running one of them at a major for me, the most interesting thing I'll remember about Goffin at this Wimbledon was he played such a good first set against Djokovic. He broke to lead 4-3 and the effect was unbelievable because Djokovic came out and it was almost like, I think the phrase I used in the ATP Tennis Radio news piece for that day was, Somebody rattled Djokovic's cage. It was like poking a sleeping lion, a dozing lion. <laughs> because from the moment Djokovic was broken, he was amazing. He reeled off the next 10 games. And poor old Goffin, who must have thought, I'm playing really well here. I might have a chance of beating this guy. Suddenly, he's blown away. And only wins two more games in the rest of the match. So I think Goffin has improved. I really hope he can string some wins together in the second half of the year. And, you know, there's no reason why he shouldn't qualify for the Nito A to B finals because when he qualified in uh, 2017, that was after missing four months of the year because of that freak accident with the tarpaulin at Roland Garros. So he's got enough time to string the wins together and he's good enough to qualify again. Guido Payer? The 26th seed, a good performance, great performance from him because he had that big win over Milos Raonic in the fourth round, 8-6 in the final set. But he also had the win over Kevin Anderson in the third round. Thought, oh, okay, this is good. Then and he comes he out against... Schwartzman in five. He's had a remarkable run. He was beaten by RBA, Roberto Batista Gutz, in the quarterfinals. But 26th seed, wasn't expected to do anything. On, on the grass course, but this is the thing. The grass, as we know, it's been a big talking point here over the fortnight, how slow these grass courts are playing. It gives opportunities for those who might be a little bit more proficient on the clay courts to make their mark, and certainly Guido took his chance. Did you hear what Nadal said about the speed of the grass? What did he, he said, say? I've been coming here for 15 years. People always talk about the speed of the grass. To me, it's no different. <laughs> the balls might be slightly different, <laughs> but the grass isn't. I mean, uh, discuss. But in terms of... Uh, Pella, yes, I thought he played very well. I commentated on his first round match against Marius Koppel and thought that there's no way he'll go further. But it's a lesson to all of us. You only have to beat the guy you're playing on that particular day. You don't have to beat Djokovic on the first day of a tournament unless you happen to be playing Djokovic. And in a way, Pella strung it together. He reached a career-high ranking in early May and had then rather lost his way. And this is the one tournament he would not have expected to pick up his ranking. And yet... He's got quarterfinal points and good on him because, you know, he's one of these hardworking professionals who's really got up, you know, into the top 30. And uh, I look forward to the rest of his year. You know, if he pushes on from this, he could be pushing for a place in London. Well, another of the players that's had a good run as well, backing up his form, 
and his upset win over Dominic Team is Sam Querrey. Had that win over Novak Djokovic a couple of years ago. He made it all the way through to the quarterfinals. He falls to a red-hot Nadal in straight sets. The other player I want to talk about too, we may as well bracket them together, is Kane Shikori. Because Nishikori, the eighth seed, he gets thereabouts. He gets to these stages of the tournament, but he just can't take that step forward. We've seen it happen only the once where he's been able to really push through deep into that second week. He runs into Federer. He loses in four sets. Pass mark for both players? Yes. I mean, you can't uh, deny them a pass mark if they get to the quarterfinals of a major. Having said that, um, the best news for Nishikori was that as a Japanese player who won the boys' singles. Yes. Because, in a way, Nishikori has ploughed a lone furrow for Japan. And if there is a youngster coming through where Nishikori can perhaps play the uh, the godfather role, a bit the way Milos Raonic is playing with Shapovalov and Oji Eliassim, and uh, there's a young uh, Canadian in, in the uh, juniors, uh, Liam Draxel, who uh, got to the boys' doubles final, I think that could be uh, an important role for Nishikori for me, I don't see where he's got the weapons to really damage Fedor Nadal Djokovic. And if he comes up against one of those, then I think he will struggle unless they're having an off day because I just don't see the weapon. As for Query, the thing that I remember most about Query, I loved his attitude when someone he just won through to the quarterfinals and someone said, but you're playing Nadal. And he said, yeah, and this is his worst slam. He's only been in five finals. <laughs> and I thought, what a great attitude. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I'm glad Sam's got back. Um, he's got to follow up, and maybe Grass is going to be kinder to him than the hard courts will be, because I think other players will have a better look at his serve on hard courts than they will on Grass. That player you're referring to winning the Junior Boys Championship at uh, Wimbledon this year, Shintaro Mochizuki. Yes, and uh, he's a lovely player because he strikes the ball so cleanly. Not the most powerful of players, but he's somebody that I will look forward to uh, following his development because... I think he could be a tremendous asset to the game if he can string it all together. I always feel we, we must be careful not to get too ahead of ourselves with juniors. There can be strong junior years, there can be weak junior years, and we've seen you know, some of the players that win junior slams um, get to you know, the top of the game, Federer, Roddick, uh, but there are plenty also who don't because they shone in weak years or they have difficulty later on. So let's not pile the pressure on him too much, but it's a good sign for Japan that they have a, a, a Wimbledon junior champion. And as I said, I like the way he plays. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Peter Mercado and Chris Bowers with you. We're on the rooftop of the All England Club Broadcast Centre and the packing up continues. You can probably hear the beep of the truck going on uh, in the background. But the championships have finished for 2019 and we're taking a look at all of the different elements that have made up Wimbledon 2019. We'll look ahead to the US hardcourt season a little bit later on, but a couple of other things to talk about in terms of the championships and the 12-all. So we had it in the singles, but you were part of it in the doubles, I the first one. The first one, yes, which is Continent and Piers beating Salisbury and Ram. And uh, there was something a bit special about it. When I was commentating and we got to 10-all, I said, right, all the players have one more service game, and if uh, uh, unless someone gets broken, it's going to be uh, a tie-break. There was something pretty momentous. What I found, though, there were three in all, one in the men's doubles, one in the mixed doubles, and the singles final. What I found is that having got to 12 all, 
they went quite quickly. Yes. And I wonder whether there will be some discussion about whether Wimbledon either needs to put a first to 10 tie break at 12 all, or whether in fact the Australian Open's model of played at six all, but in the final set have a first to 10 might be appropriate. I mean, the ATP invented the first to 10 tie break to replace a set, to replace a final set. So in a way this year, we've had the first uh, 10 point tie breaks that have ended a set that was played conventionally. So in a way, I think it's an evolving situation and uh, I think there will be discussion in the second half of the year and who knows, next year we might have slightly different formats. Yeah, but to me, it, it seemed to work fine. I mean, the fact that we're only talking about a small number of matches, we were going through that first week and thinking, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Let's get this history out of the way. When's it going to happen? For it to happen in the championship second match... Second Tuesday well, uh, for the first time. Yes, yes, yes. But I don't think... To have it in the, the gentlemen's singles final to top it all off, I don't think anyone was sitting around going, oh, well, this should have gone to 23-21. No. We had the theatre, we had the drama, and that's what it's about. Rather than the potential, and it may not have happened in this case, for we get those those matches that just meander along and it's just hold a serve, hold a serve, hold yep. a serve, hold a serve. Oh, maybe they get to 30, hold a serve. And then we get excited towards the end. We've taken all of that out. That there was still all the drama that you could pack into say well, 2018. Federer's match point 13, was at 87. Yeah, yeah, which wouldn't have happened with a six-all tiebreak. So. so we had that, and and it still worked fine. So I don't think there's going to there's a massive issue with that. Okay, if they want to tweak to 10 points, well that's fine by me. But having the tiebreak, that's a tick in my book. As is. Yes, I think it was coming. As is. The, as I look out over the brand new number one court roof. We talked about it last week. We've had a tournament with no rain, Chris, because that's what you do. When you don't want rain, you build a roof. But we have had <laughs> rain. It's just not in the playing hours. Correct. We had, we had rain at quarter to ten on Saturday <laughs> night when we were recording our end of week one ATB Tennis Radio podcast. There was rain on the middle Sunday and there was rain this morning, but it cleared by about 10.15. It slightly affected people's warm-up, uh, but they still managed to start the junior finals at 11 o'clock, those that were scheduled for 11. And yes, it's been a remarkable tournament because there has been no rain during playing hours. It's been great. But they have used the roof four Yes, times. to finish off some matches. Uh, last, yes. uh, last time we were recording, we had the Dan Evans match going on in the background under the roof, and it's been sensational. So a big tick there, a big tick for the men's doubles final here at the Championships as well. The second seeds, Juan Sebastian Cabal and Robert Farah getting their major title. Finally, they got their major title. They disappointment at the Australian Open in 2018, but they won in five gripping sets over Nicola Mahou and Edouard Roger Vasselin. I was calling this match for the Wimbledon Radio Channel. 6-7-7-6-7-6-7-6-7-6-3. It was a match that had everyone on the edge of their seat. I wonder how Nicola Mahou was feeling the day after the match because he got hit in the eye first. It was quite a serious thing. It wasn't deliberate. It came from an overhead that landed in and just sort of skidded on. He tried to get out of the way of it, but he was hit flush in the eye, got a medical timeout. In the final set, he got hit twice in two points. He went down because he, he got tagged and then he got hit somewhere where you don't really want to get hit. So he was in the wars, but it was just a sensational final. Well, to the best of my knowledge, there's no warrant for the arrest of uh, Juan Sebastian. No, absolutely out, not. Even though he hit both Mau in the final and Raven Klaassen in the semi-finals and caused a massive gash behind Klaassen's left ear. So uh, anyway, it's all part of the rough and tumble. And uh, I think one of the things I'd like to say about the men's doubles final is 
it's another country to tick off. Yes. Colombia now have Grand Slam champions. Yes. And in a way, this doesn't just happen by accident. There are a whole load of people doing all sorts of work to expand the reach of tennis around the world. For me, it's remarkable. Tennis in this form dates from the 1870s. The Davis Cup started in 1900. It took until 1974 for one of the non Grand Slam nations to win the Davis Cup and now we're getting all sorts of people from lots of different countries winning the major titles and this happens because organisations like the ATP, the WTA, the Grand Slams put money into tennis development and that that money is spent encouraging people who show talent from some of these countries to have the support they need especially when they're promising juniors help them through the transition to the full tour because it doesn't happen by accident and Cabal and Farah have worked very very hard for this this is to, to borrow a phrase from show business they've taken 20 years becoming an overnight star yes exactly right so congratulations to them what was an epic final in the mixed doubles congratulations to van dodik and the tisha chan the eight seeds getting the win over robert linstead and yelena ostapenko we also had on the women's side congratulations to simona Halep, who won the ladies singles Convincingly, you'd have to say, Chris, over Serena Williams, all sorts of different, I guess, narratives and storylines, but I really want to focus on Simona Halep because yeah. she came in here, the expectations were not high all round. Her form at these championships in past years hasn't been the greatest. She basically had a free swing at it, and she played, I think, pretty much the perfect final. Three unforced errors, which is a record in a ladies' singles final in terms of how few unforced errors, and Serena was just dismantled. Granted, Serena didn't really play anyone inside the top 10 until she got to the final, so it was a big step up for her, and she hasn't had a lot of tennis, but Serena, as Simona gave her no opportunity. Yeah, big shout-out to Simona on two fronts. One, that she has mastered grass. She was another of these players, even though she got to the semi-final five years ago, lost to Jeannie Bouchard in that one. She has actually really embraced grass she said okay my game could work on grass I just need to adapt it and adapt my footwork and in a way she's a lesson to all players male and female that if you're worried about that look at Halep look at Bautista Agut they have actually said all right this is a recognized surface I am not going to be fearful of it I'm going to work out how I adapt my game to it and I really take my hat off to Halep for doing that the other thing I take my hat off to her for is that she has developed herself not just as a tennis player but as a person you know she had a, a minor crisis a couple of years ago where she was struggling for motivation and she played a couple of matches where she didn't put everything in and realized actually that is not what being a professional is being a professional is fighting for everything because people pay to watch me play and i owe it to myself so this was a triumph for not just for her tennis adapted to grass but for her as a human being and there are lessons again to everybody not just male and female but not just at the professional level whatever level you play just be true to what you're out there for. Congratulations to Xie Su Wei and Babora Stritseva, the third seeds who won uh, the ladies' doubles. That was the final match on the program. They beat uh, Gabby Dabrowski and Xu Yifan, the fourth seeds in straight sets. And Babora Stritseva, good tournament in the singles. She is now the world number one doubles player. Yeah, and, you know, she's worked very hard. and She's working with da David Cotiza, this uh, remarkable Czech coach. Yes. who uh, has worked pretty much with all of them. Yeah, but he steered... Kvitova to two yes, titles here. Yes. He's worked with Pliskova. I think he got her to number one. And 
now you've he's working with streets of her so um whatever he's got he's he's got something that really works can i give another shout out to somebody please this is not a player this is to neil stubbley now if you don't know the name neil stubbley neil stubbley is what you and i would call the groundsman yes or the head groundsman actually his title here is head of courts and horticulture because he's responsible <laughs> for all the the petunias it's a long it's a long title but a good one all the dandelions in the grass uh, there aren't any by the way um but the fact is we have been raving about the matches between Federer and Nadal and Federer and Djokovic and others as well, Nadal, Kyrgios. Those don't happen on grass without an enormous amount of preparation. And the state of the art, you know, working on a grass court, how do they actually make a grass court that lasts? That centre court lasted two weeks to the point where the last match played on it uh, was just, well, the last singles match was just of the highest quality. That could not have happened without good grass. So I think we should give a shout out to Neil Stubbley and his team. Keep going. Let's talk about some of the highlights from over the two weeks in terms of other things that may have come up along the way. You, you've been here obviously providing updates for our ATP Tennis Radio listeners via atptour.com uh, and also been doing some TV work. I've been commentating for the Wimbledon Radio Channel. By the way, if you can hear that in the background, that's the... Uh, the sign that's that's the uh, the, the gates PA are closing, telling all the fans that the that the gates are closing, so they need to get out. We won't be too far behind them. But highlights. What overall narratives can we take out of of this? What's really stood out to you over this past fortnight? I have to say the weather. Um, yes, because I agree. Actually, way, I should say from from my point of view, coming from overseas, but it's, it's fantastic. It's been perfect yes. because we have had years when it hasn't rained, but they've generally had a couple of days where it's been stiflingly hot, and we haven't had those days. There haven't been any strong winds. Yes, uh, if you think of that Federer Nadal semi final in Paris, I mean that was wrecked by the wind. Uh, both players did phenomenally well, but you know it was destroyed as a spectacle by the weather. The weather has just allowed us to celebrate tennis here, and I just don't want us to forget that. I know it's no one takes credit for it but you know one of the reasons you can have such good tennis is that you have good ground staff that create the courts you have good organizational ability but the weather plays a part too it's an outdoor tournament and that will stand out i think i have this thing that you remember the tournaments by the finals and clearly the men's singles final will stand out for many years even the women's singles final that only lasted 56 minutes um and you know uh, the men's went four hours 57. Just the quality of Simona Halep's play will stand out. And I just think that it's been a wonderful tournament. There are a couple of little amusing moments that uh, amused me. We mentioned last week about the sprinkler incident where Artem Sitak was covered yes. uh, by the sprinkler that went off by mistake. <laughs> I think he's, he's finally dried out. I think, I think we can say he's dried out. He was involved in the match. He and Z- uh, Lara Ziegemund, who were the ones that were sprayed in that mixed doubles, they ended up playing the second 12-all uh, tie break in the mixed doubles, and they, they won it. Um, the other thing that struck me is an odd one in the Nadal-Federer semi-final. Because Nadal likes toweling off between points, he takes two towels to the back of the court, and the ball kids are told, um, put them on the line umpire's chairs, because the line umpires don't tend to sit down while play is going on. They will at changes of ends. And so... These Wimbledon towels have the big Wimbledon written across them. And this ball kid, I think accidentally, laid a towel down on a chair where the WIM was draped over one end and the ON was draped on the other. And there was this big word, bled, coming out of the chair. And in a way, it was somehow appropriate because Federer and Nadal were giving everything. And it was almost like, you know, they have, they have bled for their sport. And I just thought it was a, a fitting 
accident of the middle four letters of Wimbledon? I think for me, uh, a couple. I mean, on the women's side, uh, obviously the, the Coco Golf story is going to be one that we're going to track over the, the years, maybe a decade or more to come. It's certainly looking that way and, and the arrival here at the event. Obviously, we talked about it last week with Nadal and Kyrgios putting in the big show that they did to, to really sort of ignite the tournament. Sometimes you need just those big matches just to really ignite things. I think, you know, Dan Evans under the roof when you've got the local hopes out there and playing. And, of course, uh, Serena and Andy, which was a nice... In the end, it was a nice sideshow, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way at all, but it was great to see them both out here. They didn't obviously go all the way, but it was certainly useful for Serena's tennis. And I guess the question now is... Where to next for Andy? Because obviously we now have the US hardcourt season. And I should remind everyone that the tennis doesn't stop. But we will have commentary on ATP Tennis Radio. The City Open in Washington every day of that tournament. We've got the Rogers Cup in Montreal and the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati. And not only that, we are rebroadcasting the US Open courtesy of US Open Radio. So there's going to be a lot that we're going to be tracking on ATP Tennis Radio. Let's start with... Murray first and what your thoughts are in terms of how he's going to play sort of this next period because he got through unscathed from his Wimbledon experience. Well he's had 10 matches on the grass. He had uh, four at Queen's, one at Eastbourne, two men's doubles matches and three mixed doubles matches at Wimbledon. Now that's a good haul for the grass court season for him. I don't know how he's feeling. I don't know how the hip has um, backed up. You know, he may have had problems from that, having had a couple of days rest. But assuming he hasn't, I actually think the hard courts are a better surface for him. He's always said he feels more comfortable putting his foot down, knowing exactly what will happen. And that happens far more on a hard court than it does on a uh, grass court or a clay court. And I think that given that his first success, in particular US Open Juniors, was on hard court, he will if he's fit, relish trying out uh, his hip playing singles. I hope he gives it a try at a tour event because in a way he's more likely to make progress by playing two out of three set matches um, and only playing three out of five at the US Open if he really feels it's past the test. Yeah, my thinking is probably continue on with the doubles for now, maybe play something at the back end of the year leading into the O2. That would make sense as well and set maybe for ATP Cup next year. Yes. I mean, he's got the protected ranking, so GB will be in there because yes. the protected ranking of two still stands. Yes, and he's got uh, Carl Emmon and Dan Evans who could back him up as well. I, I think it's, uh, it's just great to see him back. I mean, I thought in Australia this year we were preparing to say goodbye and th- this operation was just so that he could, you know, uh, walk and maybe jog for the rest of his adult life. But... Maybe um, we will see him back. He's clearly a, somebody who loves competing. And, uh, you know, there was that one match, the first match that he played at Queen's, where he had a smile on his face and you got the sense of, oh, well, the pressure's off. The other nine, he had his game face oh, on. Oh, big time. Absolutely. What can we take from these two weeks looking ahead now? I do want to give a shout-out to Hugo Bear in terms of the next-gen player who was able to sort of lead the charge. He beat Felix Auger Aliasim. And I thought Hubert Hukash also did yes. very well. Took a set of Djokovic and really earned it. Could have so taken the, two. So the players who didn't do so well here, and I'm talking about Zverev, I'm talking about Tsitsipas, I'm talking about Team. team. Yeah. Do you think 
they'll get the head start. I think we'll be talking a lot more about them early on in the hardcourt swing. I think probably an extended break in store for the guys like Djokovic, Nadal and Federer, which will allow the players who crashed out here to maybe build up some form leading into the US Open. Is that a narrative that you're sort of working with? Yeah, I, I can definitely work with that one. For me, um, Zverev has off-court issues that he's still got to resolve and I don't want to go into them because A, I don't think it's my business and B, um, he may well be sorting them. We don't know how he's dealing with that but he just needs to make sure that all his focus is on his tennis and then I think he will start putting the results together again because he's too good a player not to. Sissipas, the thing that worried me about his first round defeat is that he was talking such a negative game and I just hope that that was just the disappointment of losing on the first day of Wimbledon and that there isn't a a sort of slightly negative voice in his head because if there is that can hold him back mm. it's great when you're having the momentum with you but yep. tennis players you you see their real metal when they have the setbacks so I hope Sitsipas can come out whatever tournament he's at because I think his defeat here was still partly due to the defeat against uh, Vavrinka at the French Open um, team I don't think will have been at all affected by his first round defeat here because I just knew that he put so much into the clay court season that I think he was a spent force he will be fresher on the hard courts but he's still a work in progress on hard courts you know came within two points of reaching the semi-finals of the US Open last year he's put together some good results on hard but they're not consistent and I would still like I'd like to see him shortening his swings a bit so that he becomes a genuine hardcore player rather than just a clay court player who's useful on hard. Well there's plenty of storylines still to come and just repeating we will have commentary on ATP Tennis Radio every day of the City Open in Washington, the Rogers Cup in Montreal and the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati and of course we're rebroadcasting the US Open courtesy of US Open Radio uh, Chris, we're going to have to move because uh, the bench that we're on at the moment, I think there's people just hovering around it and otherwise we're going to be lifted into a truck. Or we could be suspended in midair. Well, we could be and that's they're two things that I don't really want to contemplate. I would like to get back to Australia at some stage. Yeah, actually, I think I might have to get <laughs> home as well. I think my grass needs mowing. It's not quite like Wimbledon's. Well, Chris Bowers is going off to prepare his uh, additional chapters to his Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer books. I'm sure you've already got them written. There's a lot lot to write after today, that's for sure. Absolutely. But it's been fun. Thank you for being a part of the podcast again. Oh, well, thanks for being for having me on because it's been just great fun chewing the fat about this wonderful fortnight, which we will be, I'm sure, chewing over for many, many weeks, months, years to come. Oh, absolutely. There's plenty more news on ATPTour.com, the full wash-up, all the results and the reflections and the video content. So make sure you check it out over the next couple of weeks as well. But it's been a fantastic tournament. It's a real privilege to be here. And that's it from us. I'm Peter Mercado. Chris Bowers joined me. Join us in our next podcast as we look ahead to the ATP 500 event in Hamburg and then it's on to the US Hardcourt Series. But for now, you've been listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. If you like this podcast, Please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. ATP Tennis Radio is bringing you more live radio coverage of the ATP Tour than ever before as the American hardcourt season swings into action. Join us from the 29th of July to the 4th of August as we bring you ball-by-ball coverage every day of the City Open in Washington. And Sasha Zverev defends his title here in Washington. 
He has defeated Alex Dumanor in straight sets, 6-2, 6-4. He punches the air with both hands. That's followed by full coverage of the Rogers Cup in Montreal and the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati from the 5th to the 18th of August. Big inside out for him, and that is it. Game, set, match, championship, Rafa Nadal. The world number one is down on his knees. Absolute delight. And it's skewed, and Djokovic makes history. He raises his arms aloft, and he roars. A simply stunning performance from Novak Djokovic from start to finish. If that isn't enough, We'll also be rebroadcasting US Open Radio's coverage of the US Open from Flushing Meadows from the 26th of August to the 8th of September. Slice of Roundage down the line, great depth on that. Oh, Djokovic has made an outrageous forehand there. In total, that's 35 days of live coverage of the American hard court season here on ATP Tennis Radio. Radio.